Joy is for you. Welcome to the Joybringer podcast. The world is full of uncertainties, difficulty, and pain. It needs joy, and you and I can bring it, but we can't bring what we don't have. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Let's grab hold of joy and bring it everywhere we go. I'm Susan, and this is the Joybringers Advent Podcast, and I am super excited to be joined by a dear friend of mine today. Her name is Elsie, and uh, Elsie and I, we joke because she's my work wife. <laughs> and uh, and Elsie um, and I work for the same radio stations, and uh, I today wanted Elsie to come on and share her story of hope and redemption and God's beautiful gifts in our lives. It's a perfect time to share about that as as we're in Christmas. And really, um, I think the reality is a lot of us struggle with hope and we struggle to find joy when circumstances are not what we thought they would be. So welcome, Elsie. I'm Thank so glad you. you're with me. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here and so honored to be asked. Well, you know, when you have your own podcast, you can just invite your friends. I mean, that's the best part. <laughs> Great place to start. Yeah, and it's an excuse for us to hang out for a little while, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I I do want to kind of just jump in and invite you to share your experience because your story is really powerful, and I think that we're just going to be so blessed by it. So will you share with us yeah. um, about what your family looks like and, and who's a part of it and how that came to be? Yeah, so um... – I like to say that uh, my husband and I are redemptive do-overs in that we very much had parallel life experiences in feeling called to ministry, going to seminary, um, getting married in seminary to other people. Um, And we both were in ministry and were married for uh, 10 years and then went through um, unexpected, unwanted divorces. due to circumstances uh, that our spouse, choices our spouses made. Um, and so we found ourselves single again as pastors. Uh, I was in my late 30s, Bert was in his early 40s. And here we are, the unexpected, right? I never, mm-hmm. never thought divorce would be a part of my story. I didn't even, if you would have asked me, I was, I was much more, I think, <laughs> um, theologically closed-minded and, and even thinking that it, if you get a divorce, what's wrong with you? Like, wh- why couldn't you just mm. make mm. And I I didn't know anybody my age that had gone through a divorce. And then again, being a female minister in an area where it's a little, you know, a little bit conservative, um, it was terrifying. Uh, I went through a stage that I affectionately call my clergy gone wild stage. <laughs> um, where you are, uh, when you are wounded profoundly, I get it. I get it now. I get why people use substances to numb, uh, food to numb. I, I, I get it because when you're in pain, you will do anything to get out of pain, even if it's just for a moment. So getting out of pain for me meant going on dates with people and just getting attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I kissed a lot of people by, by God's grace. Um, he preserved my purity, uh, which I'm, I'm super grateful truly for and my safety. Uh, but I, I was so broken that I just wanted all the attention I could get. Mm-hmm. And in that, while I don't believe those choices were God's will at all, um, I believe the Lord used them to give me a heart of empathy towards people who are hurting and why, why you can look at someone and say, why are you doing that? That's an awful choice and go, yeah, they're, they're hurting. Mm-hmm. I got to the point after several months of that, so obviously post-divorce single again, um, the Lord just really, really the whole time he was convicting me, but I was purposely ignoring him. <laughs> like hmm. I we do that. Don't we? It's fine. It's, it's yeah. not, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So it's fine. 
finally he was like, you got to tell your accountability partners. And so there were three women. I started a text thread and I called it my clergy gone wild. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just honest with all three of them and said, look, here's what I've been doing. I've been numbing with this attention seeking and, um, spending time with people and I'm making unwise choices. Mm-hmm. They were um, loving, but also very truthful and said, yeah, you got to cut that out. Yeah. Um, and at that point I, I did, I really did. I was like, all right, Lord, you are the only one that satisfies. Uh, this is all, all temporary. And even when I, when I engage in this, you know, somewhat reckless activity in, just goofing off. It's like, I, I feel worse afterwards. Mm. I'd never experienced that before. Cause I'd never been rebellious. So that's like, Oh, this is what they talk about when they say the world doesn't satisfy because it doesn't. Right. It really doesn't. So that then and there, the Lord did not tell me not to date anymore, but I decided I was like, well, I just can't date. Like, I'm just not, I can't trust myself. Hmm. So about a month later, I get an email from um, a gentleman, and I joke that this sounds like um, the intro to a joke because the same week I was asked out by a congregant, a funeral director, and a male stripper. <laughs> no joke. No joke. And it's only Tuesday. Like, <laughs> right, right. You know. I yeah. mean, um, and at this point, I had come clean with my therapist and said, uh, hey, here's what I've been doing. And I need accountability from you, too. And I don't want to numb anymore. Um, mm. I've set the boundary for myself that I'm not going to date. And I get this email from a funeral director and says that he's heard about me and my ministry and was wondering if we could grab coffee sometime. I was like, are you kidding me? Like you work with dead people. Like that is <laughs> disgusting. And his name is Bert too. Like, what are you like 100? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I politely declined and even though his email was very sweet and very sincere and I went to therapy and my therapy, um, my counselor said, all right, so who asked you out this week and how did, how are you handling it? And so I told her. And she said, wait a minute, this, this funeral director, what's the deal with, what's that? Um, she said, well, obviously it's inappropriate to go with a congregant and we don't really need to go into the male stripper part of that. Right. Right. You don't need to touch that. I said, well, his name is Bert. He's, you know, he's my age. He used to be a pastor. Um, he, you know, he's been through a divorce. He's got two kids. Like, I, I don't know. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. And she repeated it all back to me. And she's like, well, what's the problem? And I said, his name is Bert and he's a funeral director. (laughs) And I was like, but yeah, I decided I'm not going to date. And she challenged me and she said, did the Lord tell you not to date? And I said, no, the Lord told me to cease that behavior, Mm. which there is a big difference, right? Right, right. He said, okay, so your homework then is to go on a, a coffee meeting with this gentleman and your homework is to make wise choices. So I'm going to go. And you're going to tell me that you made wise choices. Wow. So I was like, well, I'll like, <laughs> I'll go out with this. Like, you can have the pleasure of my company. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. So I wrote him back. And uh, after I said no, I was so impressed with him because, you know, how guys will ask you out and then backpedal. Like, well, it was just, you know. Yeah. I didn't mean it. I mean, you know. Right. I mean, I just want what's I just want to get coffee. Like it's not a big deal. He completely owned it and was like, I respect your decision. Thanks so much for emailing me back and just know that I'm praying for you. And if you ever need someone to talk through that's been through a divorce, um, I I have and I I you know be willing to listen. And I was like, that is like a stand up guy right there. That yeah. is stand up. So I said, let's, you know, let's okay, we can get together for coffee. That's fine. Thinking nothing of it. And we got together for coffee. We walked around downtown with our warm beverages, tea, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. And um, 
the interesting thing is that his former wife was, her name was Leslie and my given name is Leslie. And so he said, now, do you go by Leslie or Leslie? And I said, I'm not less than anyone. My mom always said, you're not less, you're more. So it's Leslie. And he stopped in his tracks and he turned and he looked at me and he said, you are more. You are oh. Um, And so we had a wonderful first date and we have um, literally talked every day, been together almost every day since, had a whirlwind romance, much like yours, season. Mm-hmm. Um, we were engaged six months later and got married uh, 10 weeks after that. And in that, I became an instant bonus mom to two boys at the time who were nine and seven. And with uh, Bert's former wife being named Leslie, she actually kept the same last name as well. So from day one, when we knew, like by the third date, we knew we were going to get married. Yeah. I didn't meet the boys for several months after that. Um, we thought they should really just call me something else. Like even though she's mom, like with school and sports and friends, like, you know, what could they call me? So my name is Leslie Carpenter Bolt. And so I said, what if they called me my initials, LCLCB? And it just kind of stuck. So the boys have always called me Elsie. My in-laws call me Elsie. Everybody on that side of the family calls me Elsie. And so it's really become this like warm term of endearment. Mm -hmm. And when I transitioned from the pastorate to what I do now in broadcasting, I just wanted a little, just a little space and a little anonymity. So Elsie it was. Um, So we are living this beautifully, holy, redemptive life um, season that like you, you know, you didn't know it could be so good. You didn't know it could be so easy. Um, I didn't know it could be so rich, you know, and um, being, I was 38 when we got married and Bert was 42 and we thought, okay, we're good with our family. Like I have two boys. I never really felt the desire to have children of my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought this is great. Like I, I get to love these boys. I get to keep my, you know, pre baby body and, (laughs) you know, um, and so we were, um, intentionally, I'll just say that we were intentionally, um, content with our family and did took some measures to, to embrace that intentionality. And then I got pregnant. So, um, yeah, apparently I am like fertile myrtle because I got, I got got pregnant twice and, um, both times. Yeah. Intentional. So we ended up losing the, um, first baby. Um, Mm. and then about a year later, I was surprisingly pregnant again. And in this, I was, I was really, really upset because I didn't Mm. Pregnant. Um, I didn't want to be pregnant again. And I, I really even just wrestled with like, Lord, I don't, I don't want this. How could you allow this to happen now? Like a second time, like Mm. this isn't, and Bert was very excited, um, you know, and, and, uh, hopeful, And I kept waiting for that um, uneasiness to go away, Mm. but it just kept getting worse and worse. This is what I think is so important, a part of your story, because this is not something people talk about. (laughs) People do not talk about, you know, maybe the dread or the wrestling with, do I want a a child? And and I, I, while so many people are... That's the only thing that they want in life, right? The, the, the struggle to get pregnant or the, the deepest longings of their heart is, is, you know, to, to birth a child. And then people, you know, on the, on this side to say, I, I don't, I didn't want that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a interesting, but it's real mm-hmm. and everyone's different and there's such beauty in being honest about it. But I'm sure you felt in the moment, like you couldn't be honest about it. That's exactly right. And in in fact, the response of those around me, so my congregation knew that I was married before for 10 years and never had children. And so the assumption was that I couldn't Uh, have children or, you know, something 
before that it never happened. And they said, oh, you must be so happy. This is so exciting. Like, this is God's extra gift, you know. Um, and so I couldn't even really respond, honestly. Like, I would just, mm. you know, like, oh, it's something, you know, or like, yeah. Lord has. Sure are. Yep. We're pregnant. Know, um, and I, I was honest with those closest to me that I was struggling but there were very few people, I think only two people that I felt like took me seriously. Mm. Um, and the way I describe it, Susan, is I felt like I was living in somebody else's mind and body. Mm. And I had, I had struggled with depression and anxiety before, but had taken medication, was currently on medication, and felt very regulated. And it... it it didn't feel like that. It just felt like this heavy darkness and dread all the time. Wow. It was incredibly sick. I had the um, hypermesis gravarium. Um, so it was, you know, nauseous the entire time. And I kept, like every ultrasound, I just kept wishing that there wouldn't be a heartbeat. Wow. And... Part of me was expecting it because we'd already lost one mm -hmm. that I was like, well, that'll probably happen again, you know? And I even like, I have, I have guilt even just saying that, you know? Sure. sure. Uh, yeah. It's so shameful. It, it feels so it's, but again, it's, it's very real to wrestle with things like this. Mm -hmm. So at 23 weeks, um, I hit the lowest point in my pregnancy and, um, I was currently a minute, I mean, minister of the gospel. I was a care pastor in a church and I had Googled how to naturally lose a pregnancy. Mm. And, um, my husband came home and I said, I need help. Mm. And I told him what I'd done. Um, and I said, I, I know it's not right that I want to hurt myself and the baby, but right now it feels like the only answer. Wow. Um, and he was just phenomenal. He didn't overreact. He didn't mm. overreact. He just sat and listened and held me and said, this is not a you problem. This is, this is us. We are in this together and we're going to do whatever you need to get healthy. And I'm so grateful too, that he never, he never pushed it aside either. He never said, oh, just wait till the baby's here. Just, it'll be fine. You know, oh, just wait. He, he just really saw me mm. um, and didn't try and fix it. Wow. So yeah. I got myself into um, a program here at a, a mental health facility and did a week of um, intentional, uh, they call it mother and baby uh, therapy. And it, I just say I was in program for a week. So it, it was intensive outpatient. So I would go for 8am and then I'd stay there all day till like six or seven. And oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They felt like I was not, um, I was able to go home like that. They shot. Sure. Okay. So I went through program and it, it was helpful. I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm huge proponent, huge advocate of, um, mm -hmm mental health and, and all of those resources. Uh, but for me, I knew that so much of it was hormonal from the pregnancy, right? right. Just like so many women, one in four women have postpartum depression. I didn't know that it was a real thing to have it during. It's called perinatal depression. Mm. Basically the same thing, but it happens while you're pregnant and it's the result of your body being flooded with those hormones. Sure. So it helped to have name you know, names around it and also to feel like, okay, I'm not just losing my mind. I'm not a horrible person. Right. They never, they never tried to talk me into anything or, um, and I say when I came out, I was like at kind of like a neutral place. Like I, mm -hmm. I wasn't going to hurt myself, but I definitely wasn't excited about the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, found out he was a boy was really disappointed about that because I already had two boys and just thought, Oh man, I'm a girly girl all the way. Like, and that was even a little more like bored, like, ah. 
I had hope, you know. How did they out? And that was disappointing. And the whole time season, when people would talk about, like, aren't you so excited? Like, mm. say, I just cannot wait to be pregnant or not be pregnant anymore. And right. I... I just want him out of my body. I had um, a condition called pubic symphysis, which is where your your hips actually dislocate and split too early. Um, <sighs> so I had pelvic pain the whole time, and um, I couldn't I couldn't decorate the nursery. I couldn't go clothes shopping. I couldn't like all of that was so overwhelming to me. I felt mm. I am doing my very best to literally survive. Yeah. And yeah. if he gets out of my body, I'll think about the rest of that. But right. I can go there right now. So um, there were some circumstances around the church I was serving that um, I decided to resign. Um, this obviously was a big part of it for my own mental health and well-being. And also mm-hmm. some, some painful things um, that contributed to the stress and anxiety of a higher risk pregnancy. Mm. Um, and then I went into labor five weeks early, wow. um, which was, you know, clearly unexpected, but I was like, get out of yeah. my, yeah. let's bounce. Okay. Right. Like this is fine. You know, and even, um, you know, checking into the hospital, they're like, you know, he'll be small. He'll do it. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. get him out of me. Yeah. Um, labor was fast and furious. He was here like within four hours and the nurses would say like, aren't you so excited? Aren't you so excited? And I'd be like, get to get him out. You know? (laughs) Wow. Um, so he, he was born and they put him on my chest just like they, you know, in the movies. And I remember every, everyone saying, just wait until you see him. All of it's going to melt away. Just wait. You know, it's the best moment of your life. And they put him on my chest and I felt nothing. Mm. Nothing. And they, they then took him off me, got him cleaned up and he wasn't breathing. They got him breathing. And um, I kept waiting for this like rush of like love and excitement and acceptance to come in and nothing, nothing happened. Mm. And so, um, my husband walked over to the little bed and when he walked back around to me, his face was like, white as a ghost? And I'm like, what's up? And he said, the doctor just said, has anyone ever talked to you about Down syndrome? And I said, our baby does not have Down syndrome. <laughs> um, I specifically asked our OBGYN at an ultrasound, are there any DNA markers for Down syndrome? Do we need to do any advanced testing? I'm 39, you know, and he said, you have zero DNA markers. In fact, I wouldn't even do the test because there's nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's nothing, Leslie. And insurance wasn't going to cover it. So he's like, don't waste your money because your baby doesn't have Down syndrome. Wow. So they put him back on me and then I could see his face and I was like, oh my gosh, my baby has Down syndrome. Like I instantly, you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, you can have about 15 minutes and then we're going to take him to the NICU. Mm. I held him on my chest and I couldn't even look at him. Hmm. Like I couldn't engage him. Bert stood there. Bert wasn't touching him. But all I kept thinking was just take him. Like just take him. I don't, I can't even, I can't even do this. Just take him. But I thought if I say that, maybe they're going to check me into like seventh floor, which is mental health. And after 15 minutes, they took him and everyone kind of left and they said, why don't you rest? And as soon as the door shut, Bert just fell to the floor. Mm. the floor, And just burst into tears. And he said, do you see it? Do you see it? And I'm like, yeah, 
I see it. And in that moment, all I kept thinking was, God, our story has been so perfect. Why would you give us this now? Why? Like, this is, this is like the worst possible thing. I didn't want a child. I didn't want a boy. I didn't want a child with special needs. And then I did what I didn't know at the time is that with DS, with Down syndrome, there's all these physiological aspects as well. Mm-hmm. Like a sick baby, right? Like I didn't sign up for any of this. In fact, I told you I didn't want any of this. So for the rest of the day, they kept Cohen in the, the NICU, my, our, our son Cohen in the NICU. And I just, I don't know, but numb a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, is he going to live with us forever? Is he ever going to drive? Is he ever going to talk? Is he ever going to walk? Like, we're going to be that couple in church that has a kid with special needs. And like, can I work? Am I going to work again? We had, we limited visitors, very few visitors. And they said, we won't know for five days for sure, because we have to do the DNA testing. But I asked the doctor, I said, I need you just to tell me straight. Like, do you believe that my son has Down syndrome? And he said, I believe your son has Down syndrome. Mm. Wow. So Bert and I decided that we would just accept it that he was because to hold on to that, what if he doesn't, what if he doesn't for five days? Oh gosh. Yeah. And then find out that he does was right. just going to be, so and it wasn't like a worst case scenario. It was, a, it was me forcing myself to embrace reality. Yeah. At the end of the day, I still hadn't seen Cohen again. I, I didn't see him all day. And Bert said, honey, why don't you just get a good night's rest? I'm going to go home. And yeah, we, there were no plans after that. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah, there was, there was nothing except horror in the moment. Mm. So uh, before he, he left, he, he prayed. And uh, now I know that he wept the entire way home. Yeah. Ugly cried. Sure. And he said, um, you know, Lord, I, I know that my wife is a loving person. And so you will make this happen. But when is that going to happen? Because I haven't seen my wife in eight months. Wow. Mm-hmm. He loved, he loved me. It was wonderful, but I wasn't myself. Sure. Sure. And he's, he was worried about me getting checked in again and having to be like mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. What if my wife is gone? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I went to bed season that night and I was like, I don't want to be woken up. Like, I don't want to pump. I don't want to like, just leave, just let me sleep. And I thought, if I sleep, I'm going to get like six hours where I don't have to think about this anxiety and dread and horror. And that's all I, that's all I had was really the next moment. Mm. And when I think about hope season, it's like, I didn't even believe that there could be hope. And yet God had hope for me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I, I couldn't even see that there was hope. It was so dark. Hope was just this like imaginary floating feather in the distance. Yeah. Or an imaginary reality. Mm-hmm. Like that's hope. The thing that we, cause we think of hope with like almost like idyllic, right? Like hope is, is the fairy tale. Hope is the thing that we could only wish for. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like I can't hope for that because I'm living in my reality. <laughs> like reality is not that. So I can't hope because the, this is my reality. Like real, this idea, like you, you've said a couple. Like I'm living in the reality. Like we decided to just accept reality. Um, it and feels to like hope almost to hope almost feels like you're denying reality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because this is what it is. So I can't hope for something different. And, and I was, I was frustrated that everybody, when they said what was going to happen, didn't happen, you know, Mm. 
And I almost felt like in those moments, I told you so. I told you it wasn't going to happen. Like, this is why I was worried. Okay. Right. Like, right. This is why I was so scared. And so before I went to bed, I said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, I have been begging you for the mm. last weeks to help me feel something, anything. I know that love is not a feeling. I know. I know that I can choose to love this person. Right. But I need you. Like, I am a feeler. I have got to feel it. I want something. to feel it. Yeah. And I was like, I need you to give me something. And I went to bed. I slept through the night and I woke up and it was completely gone. Mm. Red was gone. The fear was gone. The anxiety was gone. The, the, all the, the unknowns just felt like this overwhelming sense of peace came over me and it was six hours. Like mm. I drugs. I didn't, I didn't have a, you know, a chaplain come and see me. It, I mean, it literally was the Holy spirit mm. immediately answering my prayer. Right. Right. And I texted Bert and I said, how soon can you get here? Because I can't wait to see our little boy. Mm. And I was flood. I was flooded with this. Like, I don't know how it's going to be okay, but I know it's going to be okay. Yeah. And that's hope mm -hmm. because your reality didn't change. Mm -hmm. But something changed, right? Mm -hmm. There was the the extra presence of something different. You your reality changed. Your reality didn't change, and you knew it didn't change. Mm -hmm. But there was an extra amount of grace and mercy and peace and joy and love that was otherworldly. The hope entered the picture into the current state of being. Yes, yes. The, the reality of goodness had not yet manifested. Wow. Wow. But the, the hope of the possibility had. Yeah. And it went from, God, how could you give us this? Mm. I can't believe you gave us this. Mm. And so we started on this this journey of discovery of learning what it means to love someone with Down syndrome and to have a, a little medically come from, um, medically fragile little boy. And it has been the greatest joy of my life. And I think like when I said to the Lord, like, I can't believe, I can't believe that you gave me that. Like, why would you do this? Like, why would you let me be pregnant? And why would you let it be another boy? And I think like I told the Lord, I didn't want my, the most precious gift he's ever been given, you know, I've, I've, I've ever been given. Hmm. And he is, he is. Yeah. He is everything. You know, he is, he is pure light. He is hope. He is joy. He is, he is Jesus. You know, he, I see Jesus in my little boy every single day. And yeah. I, I just think that like the Lord, the Lord knew and the Lord was like, just you wait, like, just you wait. You're not going to believe how good it's going to be. And yeah. yet I couldn't, I couldn't even see it. Right. And this is why I love your bravery because you talk about things that are to maybe the the normal experience they're abhorrent they're they're shocking they're terrible right but it's so raw and so real and you have we have to talk about these things because you were dealing with something so very real this it's not po what is it's not postpartum but it was what Peri is it called perinatal depression and and severe you know anxiety and and just the fact that Every person is different and we handle we handle these these the reality of these kinds of things in unique ways. But so many women would say, Yes, oh my gosh, I was terrified to ever even 
say those words. I could never say those words. And I bet you, maybe, I don't project on you, but did you ever feel like maybe this was a punishment that because you didn't want that, that, you know, what went through your head? Also, you couldn't really share, right? Like, because this is a, this is a human. This is, he's born. There's no going back. There's no going back. Right. And, and all of this, the fear and the dread and the, the shame and the judge, the fear of judgment. Yeah. Um, I had one, one loving, amazing friend that very truthfully asked me at one point in my pregnancy, like, is adoption an option? Like, and not in a, a, a derogatory way. Like, it, sure. is, is that an, and I said, you know, Bert would never, would yeah. never do that. Yeah. Um, and I knew, like, I knew everyone was going to be worried for me. But I was so distraught, Susan, when that day, the first day he was born, and that I thought, I can't, I can't fake it, um, but I also can't let them know the depths of my despair because right. Right. I'd, be, I'd be hospitalized. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, not only was there a different reality present. Um, it's like the, the grief of new reality is in the moment. And then it's also ongoing because mm. there's the grief, grief of the incident. And then there's the grief of the impact of that incident. So the grief is, wow, I have a child with special needs. And the yeah. impact is that I don't know what kind of extra help he's going to need. I don't know financially. I don't know if he's going to live with me. All the unknowns, right? The same with divorce. Divorce is the is the incident. The impact is, I don't know my finances. I don't know if I'm ever going to get married, right? And so there's this ongoing grief when things don't mm. go the way that you think they should go. Mm. The aim of actually my therapist um, counseling center is she calls it second journey counseling, because all of us are living a second journey that we never thought we'd live. All right. of us. Right. But it's how you engage that journey. That's where you're able to find the beauty and joy. Yeah. And I think to be able to acknowledge the inciting incident that has grief, but then the subsequent realities of what, how this impacts my life and to acknowledge that it's okay to grieve this new reality and how it manifests all, all along the way. I was talking about forgiveness uh, with someone on a different podcast and, and we got to this idea that y- you, you can forgive, you do all the work, but then something else changes and you're in a new season, a new situation and the impact reveals itself. Like I, someone was talking about how, you know, their father, it, there was a situation where they, she lost her dad and she'd gone through all this forgiveness work with, and, and when they're past like when they're dead it's it's even that's another layer but she thought she had dealt with all the things she needed dealt with until she got married and he couldn't walk her down the aisle like mm-hmm. so these just layers upon layers so you get to a point where you know y- you thought you were good mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now there's more impact and it's got to be a challenge but i think to put it out there and say yes grief has layers and it comes and it's so important to acknowledge it without shame and say, I'm struggling with this reality because of this thing. And they can, it's the, the joy and hope and grief can be simultaneous. They can happen at the exact same time. And the grief doesn't, doesn't limit the hope and it doesn't take away from the hope. They both can coexist. That is so, so good. Grief and hope, grief and joy can exist in the same moment mm-hmm. because Jesus is present in all of it. Right. Yes. That's, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our, I, I say this all the time. You don't have to feel joy. You, you don't have to feel joy, but the invitation is to lock eyes with joy because Jesus is with us. He's present in the room, feel the joy, the hope, the peace, feel it around you. Even if you don't feel it inside of you. Mm-hmm. And you have been, you, you get to lock eyes with joy 
in the form of a little boy named Cohen. <laughs> like, because he is just manifesting. Like, he just is, is, he is joy. He is so much love. He is so much beauty in this little, how old is he now? He's four. 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 Oh my gosh. I know. I know. And he's such a kick. He's so expressive. Yeah. He's so animated and fabulous. <laughs> yeah. He, and now it's like, like the Lord is so kind and gentle that if I would have known what I, what I know now, yeah, I would have been jumping up and down. Like mm. we hit the jackpot. I mean, <laughs> I pick him every day, twice on Sunday. I want another one. Like give me all the DS babies. Like I mm. love them. And mm. now when I hear of someone that has like a in utero diagnosis or even at birth, I was like, congratulations. Welcome to the family. I know you probably want to punch me in the face, but believe me, yeah, you will, you know, you will get there and feel it too. And when we had one person, um, a friend who had a, a child with DS and she said, congratulations to me. And I was like, have you lost your mind? Yeah, get and, behind me. I, I'm going to punch you. Yeah. Right. And and now it's like, it's a club that you mm. would never self-select to be into. But then once you're in, you can't imagine not mm. a part of your life. Um, and there still are moments of, of grief yeah. in Cohen's journey. You know, like we, we go to his class and we see the hope of all that he can do. And then there's grief of like... Oh, that's what typical four-year-olds are doing. And he, he's not there yet like that. That's a hard thing yeah. to hold. And um, I feel like, like season, like my nugget that I go back to that next morning when the hope, like it was like opening the window, you know, like this huge mm. express window and like the sun just came like shout shining in was the word whispered to me so, so clearly. He said, Leslie, everything that Jesus asks of humanity, Cohen will do. Wow. Wow. Right? Love God, love others. And then he followed it up with, and he's going to do it better than most. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, I have goosebumps just saying it. Yeah, that makes me cry. I mean, and it's so, I'm like, what else could I ever ask for my child? My typically developing children. That is my prayer for them. Love God, love others. And he is completely capable of that. Everything else are expectations mm. of the world. But wow. what Jesus asks, he can do. Wow. It's, it's radical. It's a radical journey that you've been on. And you, you do it with such power and grace by being transparent, by sharing your story and by bringing hope to others, hope and joy to people who are in a season where they don't see the alternate reality. They, they don't see where things could be good. Hope, joy doesn't look like it's revealing itself. And yet there, God has the power to change it in an instant. Yeah. And not necessarily the circumstance, but right. to inject hope yeah. and for us to find the joy, right? Find it outside of our feelings, but recognize that it is present. And I think it's just, it's so important to know that like God, God will give you exactly what you need when you need it as long as you receive it. Like mm. I could look at somebody else or they could look at me and say, I don't know how you do it. I, I, I could never be a special needs mom. And I'm like, the Lord's given me everything. And I look at you season and think, I don't know how you lost your mom. You lost your dad. And the Lord has given you exactly what you need. Like yeah. to not be fearful of anything because God, God and God's goodness and kindness and mercy is just so thoughtful in mm -hmm. fighting in the moment what we need. Right. Well, and, and beyond that, he has gone before us. Mm -hmm. That's 
the truth. So we don't see it. I'm looking ahead and going, I have no idea how. I have to trust that that God is infinitely beyond what we can understand. And he, he knows, he knows what's in front of us. And he has intentionally left a trail of his goodness and glory. We find it and we see it everywhere, but he has, he has gone before. It's not a surprise. He knew the joy that Cohen would be. He knew that the struggle that you were in had another side to it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think our invitation is to trust in that, but also to look for it, look for those nuggets look for where um, that my one of my favorite quotes ever is a guy with a fun name, Francis Fran Japan. And the quote is, if there's any area of your life that is not glittering, glistening with hope, then somewhere we're under the influence of a lie. Somewhere we're believing the lie that God's not good. Somewhere we're believing the lie that 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 we are not standing in victory. Somewhere we're believing the lie that hopelessness is our new reality, but that's Mm -hmm. not true. And so every area of our life gets to have a sparkle, a glitter, a glisten of hope. That that's not, the quote is not, you should be blinded by it, but that it does exist. Let your eye catch the sparkle. It is there. Mm -hmm. And when we see it, we can focus on it. We can unearth it, right? I'm up. Oh, I think it's right there. Let's go lean into that. Follow where that is. And Cohen is that incredible bright sparkle that mm-hmm. lights up not only your world but the world around him. I'm I've learned so much from being, you know, adjacent to your family, right? Just to learn about individuals with DS and 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 the language, just how we speak about it, um, how to support that, mm-hmm. and and I'm grateful for your journey, and uh, and so tell me your slogan, your family slogan. Yeah, yeah. So one one uh, piece of of my story in meeting Bert is that before we met, a girlfriend of mine had a dream, and in that dream, she saw that I would be in front of a church doing prayer ministry in the altar and that I would be married to a man who I met at a funeral with two small children. (laughs) Like you do. All right. (laughs) And I, I got, I mean, it was a Facebook like DM and I was like, okay, you know, and I just took that, like, you'll be married someday. You'll be married. Right. You know? And it wasn't until months later that I realized that was Bert, right? Wow. And and the words with that with that dream were, Leslie, whatever the enemy has stolen, God always does better. Mm. God that is his specialty. Yeah. And then Down syndrome is it's a uh, chromosomal anomaly. So it is a variance in the way that um their cells are, he has an extra copy of the 21st chromosome. So hmm. he is, we say he's a little extra. <laughs> so at the very beginning, when Bert started calling me more, he'll say, I love you more. And then I call him my better because God always does better. I love you better. And then with Cohen, we say, I love you extra. Mm. So our slogan is more, better, extra. Mm. And wouldn't God do it? Mm-hmm. He did it. He did it for you. He's not done doing it. And for you listening or watching, he is working all things. He's working it out. He has le- aligning things and intentional. I think, it, and I, I believe that it gives God great delight to do it. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that God just is so tickled. To be like, oh, they don't even know what's coming. Just you wait. Just you wait. Just you wait. It's going to be so good. And like, you could just imagine what what his face is like when we discover it. You know, when you give your child a good gift, you're like, I can't wait. And and you, oh, are you going to open it now? You know? And, and I think it also probably saddens the Lord when we don't 
recognize it, when we don't acknowledge it either, right? Like just like a parent, you know, when you give your kids something that you've saved up for or you've give your you you've worked so hard to to provide something for your kid and they're like, "Oh, this." <laughs> you know? Yeah. That just that's so disheartening and and I think the Lord as a, as a good father wants us to delight and see his good work in our lives. Mm-hmm. So to declare, I know, don't you have it on a necklace? Yeah. 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 Like more, better, extra, and and to declare that regularly. And for us to, in our own lives, to see and look for, intentionally look for those moments and the work of the Lord. He is mm-hmm. always at work behind the scenes. And when it gets to be revealed, to celebrate it. Yeah. And in those moments for us, which they're very real, where we don't see it, we don't know how, we're discouraged, we think it's never going to happen. I'm looking at a mountain in front of me and I have no idea. The invitation is to look back and go, he's done it before. Yes. In fact, where you're even standing right now is because of the work that he's done. Yes. So we get to look back and celebrate and, and, you know, that word testimony really just means do it again. So, so to say, do it again, God, I'm looking at another mountain or I see a really long road ahead of me and I have no idea how I'm going to be able to get down it. Do it again, God. I trust that you've done it before. You, you are more and better and extra and, and we get to celebrate. Regardless of your circumstances, even if I, I mean, I believe God has good gifts for his kids, but even if it wasn't a miraculous healing, even if it, his name wasn't Bert, right? Like <laughs> God is the immeasurably more than yeah. we ever imagined. Like he is the more, the better, the extra. Mm. Amen. And so we will look for it and we will receive it this Christmas season, the hope and the joy and the goodness that is present even when we don't feel it, but it is present because the Lord is with us, right? God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. We have hope. We have victory. We have joy. And we have love that is far beyond anything we could imagine. I love you, friend. I'm so grateful. Thank you for joining me and sharing your incredible, powerful story. And um, is there any way anyone can reach out to you or find you? You want to tell us where we can find you? Absolutely. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram. You can look me up as well. It's, it's not a secret. I'm LCB, but I'm all, that's my professional for radio. But also on the ministry side, I'm still Leslie Carpenter Bolt. And you can absolutely reach out to me there. Um, if it's easiest for you to remember, joy99.com, you can find me. I would love to connect. I'd love to hear your story, encourage you, pray for you, believe with you, because wherever you are, no matter how dark it is, there is still hope. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, friend. Thank you for listening to the Joybringer podcast. I would love to connect with you. Find me on social media or on my website at seasonedhours.com. For more information on how to live like the gospel is good news, check out my book, The Joybringer Challenge. You can buy it anywhere books are sold or on my website. Thanks again for listening. And hey, I love you. <laughs>